0: Say goodbye to ride-share horror stories. Download the Alto app today and use code FOUNDER for $10 off your first ride.
1: Welcome to the Cocoa Express Network. Talk radio that informs. Talk radio that inspires. Talk radio that enlightens. Talk radio for us all. The number you have dialed has not been
0: recognized. Please try again.
1: Hey, everybody. I hope you can hear me now because we are... We are live and we had to kind of make some changes really quick. Like I said, today Mm -hmm. has been one of those days when I know that I'm doing something that is going to benefit many people because I've had such a rough time today. So please bear with me as we bring our guest back onto the show. Her name is Erica Kendricks. Erica Kendricks is an amazing woman and she has an amazing message to share with everyone. Her message is about suicide prevention, and many of you will be attracted to the things that um, uh, the most important thing that you would probably be attracted to is the fact that she was a former cheerleader for the Chicago Bulls. But the amazing part of it is this woman has um, educated herself in a way to be able to help others, and she is going to talk to us about suicide and the suicides race. The statistics for suicides have risen in such a dramatic Manner, And we have to try to figure out what's going on. And based on some of the information and research I was doing, it seems as if females are committing suicides a lot more than males are. And suicide is not just a situation that's um, happening here in the United States. It's a global situation. And we really got to get a, a, a grip on what this is, how it is, how we can help ourselves, how we can help someone else. And she is here to help us. So please allow me the opportunity to bring to you Ms. Erica Kendrick. Hello. Hello. Hi, I just want to tell you, thank you so much. I didn't, like I said, today has been a day from I don't know where. <laughs> Everything that could go wrong went wrong. <laughs> I mean, I was even told today that I was one of the victims of that um cyber hacking thing with the credit mm-hmm. reporting company. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, dang. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa.
0: Sometimes it's like that. We got to take a deep breath. Breathe it in, let it out slowly, and keep putting one foot in front of the other. I have those days all the time. I'm
1: like, well, I mean, I almost cut my finger off at the mailbox door. I said, you know what? I know I'm getting ready to do something that is beneficial and it will help a lot of people, and that is doing this show today on this particular Mm, subject. I love it. I love it. I said, because if I was just going to come home and, you know, watch TV and watch some Ratchet TV – None of this would have
0: happened. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Somebody's trying to get in your way. You're not letting it happen. I love that. No,
1: no. I am not blocking the blessing that you are gonna provide for others. So uh-huh. so let's get this party started. Let's talk about this thing called suicide and learn more about it and help us learn how to help ourselves and help others. But first mm. tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay,
0: so With all of that that was just said, let me say thank you for having me on tonight. This is a really, really (laughs) big deal because, you know, sometimes we get so caught up in our own day-to-day that we forget that we've got these gifts that are supposed to be shared with other people. And so this is one of those opportunities where, you know, hopefully I always say if I can reach just one person or if I can inspire hope in just one person, then I'm doing my job. So thank you so much for having me on. Um, okay, a little backstory on me. I am um a real anomaly. I'm like I'm like one of those folks you'd be like, Wait, but what? Huh? So <laughs> growing up I was that kid who Um, Did a lot of things really well, and I shined a lot. I was an A-plus student, and I was always on the honor roll in high school. I was voted freshman of the year by the staff and faculty at my Ripsey high school. I was senior class president, National Honor Society, National Dean's List, cheerleading team, dance team, theater club. And then I got accepted to Stanford University, and I went to Stanford, and I got really really suicidal I had Mm. been really depressed for a long time but I got really suicidal and I had my first suicide attempt at 19 and then I was placed under suicide watch in the psychiatric ward
1: and no Uh one
0: understood what was going on because I was that kid that was always you know had a lot of friends and excelled in you know a lot of things that I attempted to do and so we learned the word depression when I, turned, when I was 19 dealing with this, and my mm-hmm. life took a turn for the word. Um So then I kept living. My dad would say, you just keep living, baby girl, even though he didn't understand what depression was. And I became, um, like you said, an MBA cheerleader for the Chicago Bulls, and I went back to school and got my MBA in marketing and international business after graduating from Stanford. And then I even wrote um, two books by Random House and and did the big national tours and television, radio, and all of that, and I still wanted to kill myself. I'd had a second attempt 10 years after my first attempt and then went back into the psych ward. So the thing is, people would say, how is it that you've lived this very extraordinary life and yet you you dirty dance with suicide, you walk suicide tightrope, and you come out on the bright side of it where there's the light, but you exist in this darkness so often. And I say to folks, you know, mental illness, mental health challenges, they don't discriminate. So it's not about, you know, if you're an A student or a D student, if you're black or white, if you're rich or poor, if you're a Democrat or a Republican, it's a human issue.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I've traveled the world today talking to folks of all ages, all demographics about, brain pain and mental monsters and I teach folks how to slay their mental monsters because mental illness impacts one in four people those are the reported numbers and brown and black communities don't report on mental health that's taboo in our community it's way stigmatized so the numbers are actually a lot higher than that probably every other person breathing that makes it a human issue So that's Mm -hmm. a little bit of background on me and the reason why I do what I do. Every time I talk to folks, there's a line of people waiting to just connect, to hug or to share or to touch me or to, to let me know that I told their story and up to this point they thought that they were all alone. And so if I can connect with one person at least and help people see that there is no shame in this mental health game, then I'm doing what I was put on this earth to do.
1: And I thank you. You know, it's unfortunate that you had to endure those challenges. Mm. And I believe that the crosses you bear were for us to learn how to help ourselves.
0: Wow, I believe that too now. There were many years where I I would look up to the heavens and say, why, (laughs) why? am I going through this? Why am I clinically depressed? Why do I struggle Mm -hmm. with bipolar disorder? Why do I have anxiety and panic attack disorder? You know, what is it about me? Why can't I be normal? And now that I'm on this side of it, Mm -hmm. being able to equip folks with the language so that they can begin to articulate their circumstance, it all Mm -hmm. makes sense now. It does. But thank you. Thank you.
1: You're welcome. And, okay, I wanted, to, you know, this floods in my head. I'm a, I'm a, going to say I'm a busybody and, and I'm telling the truth. And <laughs> okay. And, you know, at times, the brain doesn't slow down as much as I need it to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like most people, people looking from the outside in, they see one thing. So I may be looking at someone who doesn't share my same energy level or my same... You know, the the outlook I have on life And I may be judging them Based on myself What should we look out for In people So that we don't judge them And we help them
0: That's a great question That's a great question Because in our society Especially in the era of social media We do quickly judge a book by its cover Much more so now than we ever have before And The truth is that signs and symptoms for mental health challenges are often present, we just don't know how to read them. So I love that question when people ask that. So one of the things, um, well, I'll tell you about four or five of the things that become apparent if you spend time with someone and you're used to their uh, routine. So once folks stop spending time with people that they enjoy and they start to withdraw from activities that they used to engage in that brought them happiness. Um, That's a big red flag when they begin to isolate and spend a lot of time alone, or they're just not hanging with the click anymore. And it's like, where is so-and-so or where is they haven't been around lately. Um, In addition to that, sleeping too little or sleeping too much, the same with eating your appetite. If your appetite has increased exponentially or if you've noticed that the person's appetite isn't there and they're not eating and they're losing a lot of weight. Um, In addition to that, talk about feeling helpless or feelings of hopelessness or emptiness or feeling like nobody understands or that they're all alone. Um, Also excessive crying. You know, when folks start crying a lot or you see that they've been crying and it's kind of like, well, what's wrong? And they'll tell you, I don't know. Or, They brush it off and say nothing, but you see that they're crying a lot, along with some of these other signs and symptoms. Then those are big red flags. And then the physical ones, I always tell folks to look out for those manifestations in the form of cutting. A lot of people, to numb the internal pain, will cut, and they'll cut starting at their wrists all the way up their arms or um, on their inner thigh where they think folks can't see it, and that's to create a sensation of numbness. And then to also feel like they've got some semblance of control over the internal pain that they're enduring. And so we judge that. We judge that. But that's actually a mechanism um, that's used as self-medicating. So then when I say self-medicating, I automatically think about drinking and drugging. And so when people are doing a lot of that and they didn't before, that's that's a giant red flag that something's not Mm -hmm. right. And what we don't do is we don't ask them, hey, are you okay? You know, we talk about it with other people or, you know, we speculate around, you know, what's happening with that individual. But one of the quickest questions that can be life-saving is, are you okay? And you'd be surprised the person may look you in the eye and say, no, I'm not. I need some help.
1: (laughs) And you said earlier that in, in, in our community, we have a hard time and a problem with saying I need some help. And we have a hard yeah. time saying, you know, I'm not okay. Why is that such a stigma? I'm, why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's
0: a, that's a million-dollar question, and the answer is rooted, is anchored in our history. Historically, especially black women who uh, struggle with clinical depression and bipolar disorder at, um, at alarming rates, we have always been socialized to be the strong ones, the strong ones. We have to hold up our men. We're expected to keep the family together. And then, you know, in this era, we're also expected to go and hold down a gig or three. And so with that leaves no room for weakness. You know, even within our church doors, it's not okay in the majority of them to say, hey, I'm having a a mental health challenge. You know, I need to take a mental health day or to Say to the pastor or the reverend or the preacher, can you refer me to um, a congregation member that's a psychiatrist? Maybe I need to get on meds or a psychologist, someone I can talk to. Oftentimes, the congregation will say, we just got to pray it away. God will fix it or Jesus has got this. You know, Mm -hmm. in in our culture, culturally, we've not been brought up to um, engage in ways that would benefit our mental health.
1: Now I was reading And like I said I was doing some statistics And I was seeing that um, Not only is suicide not just Generic to the United States of America It is a global situation and, Absolutely um, it's, it, They say that the rates for women committing suicide Is, is becoming higher than for men So, So if 350
0: million people worldwide are suffering from depression. Like right now in this moment, that tells you how big of a global issue suicide is. One of the things that we don't talk about is in our country, we have on average 121 suicides every day, like every day, 121. That's that's outrageous. And within our Black and brown communities, African American girls between the ages of 10 and 14, suicide is the third leading cause of death for them. That's like epidemic status, and that's not something that we sit around and have conversations about with our young black girls or with each other for that matter. So, we're talking about statistics that are staggering. I said, you know, starting at the age of 10, according to the CDC. I had to call the CDC last year when I was getting my numbers together for a big speech I was doing, and I said, is this a, t- is this a typo? <laughs> you no. know, and, and, mm-hmm. and they were like, no, ma'am, no, ma'am. You know, this is accurate. This is our 2015 data. And I was, I was yes, ma'am, thank you. I couldn't wow. believe it. So um, the truth is that it's a global issue, but when we, when we look at our communities, we look at us, each other. The, mm-hmm. the babies that look like us and talk like us and walk like us, it's impacting us at an alarming rate as well.
1: Yes, yes. Now, that that bothers me. I mean, that really bothers mm-hmm. me because that just bothers me. One, I'm a parent to a young lady. You know, well, she's a young woman. And two, I look at these young girls out here, and like I said, every now and again, I turn on Ratchet TV and <laughs> mm-hmm. i wholeheartedly believe the two coming together is part of the problem because mm-hmm. we ha- now this is just me, you know, speaking and i'm not trying to speak for the world um but i think that we have over-glamorized the 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 shiny things and when you can't achieve or have the shiny things, you become sad because you think that you're not someone unless you have the shiny things.
0: That's right. That's right. That is absolutely one of the precursors to um, our self-image, our self-esteem, our perceptions of selves and how we identify in our greater space around us. You're absolutely correct. Social media is um, also of, Significant detriment to our kids, as well as Ratchet TV for sure. Um, I was watching The Real Housewives of Orange County yesterday, and you know that's a main. You know these are these are white folks. It's mainstream. Mm-hmm. You know if I'm looking at Ratchet TV, it's the exact same messaging. Though the messaging is no different, um, and unfortunately, our communities are not villages like they used to be, and as Amen. a result. We don't have the support The intrinsic support um, Within the community to strengthen us Before we step foot into the, the quote unquote real world And so there are a lot of Distractors that are in place um, Intentionally mm-hmm. <laughs> and They're meant to distract us They're meant to break us down They're meant to weaken us And then um, we end up without the supports That we need on an emotional A psychological and a spiritual level To be able to battle The challenges that face us. One of the biggest things I talk about is trauma. You know, people say, uh, "Why are all of our black children so lost?" And I say, the mental illness is rampant in our black and brown communities, particularly in our underserved and underprivileged ones, because they are suffering from PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome, because of the trauma in the communities. It's pervasive, and they deal with this on a regular basis without the tools to help them recover. The recovery isn't there. So they're inundated with trauma and then expected to normalize that. It's impossible. And studies show that trauma is a direct precursor to mental illness, a direct one. So then we end up with grown babies who are traumatized, trying to socialize themselves into an everyday that doesn't make sense for them.
1: Mm. You know, it is so, and oh my goodness, yes, now I understand why I I almost have a broken foot, a broken finger and everything today. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have been working on a project myself, you know, to try to be part of that, you know, it takes a village mentality. But today in the paper here in Delaware of the, uh, the News Journal, they had an article on this same thing about how many children are killed between the ages of 8 and 14, you mm-hmm. know, and how they are just how the the, um, the the municipality is not able to deal with it. They don't have the tools to, to help or manage it or even understanding or process it, and the fact that you say that you have a lot of grown babies, I have this firm belief, and this is my belief I'm putting it out there like this, that oftentimes we get stuck in a place where we were most happiest, and that was before the trauma, yeah, and yeah it, and we as we grow as a, and become adults. We mentally are still stuck in a happy place, and that's why we have a lot of situations that we can't really maneuver and manage in our society because Mm -hmm. of the fact that there was nobody to help us get past that trauma. That's right. That's right.
0: And that's what our community leaders, our village leaders – used to represent for us and you know we can look back historically and see when the shift began to happen and and a lot of us understand why it happened that was by design it was it was not a coincidence in our history but the truth is that we can't have the expectation of Our grown babies to be able to normalize and exist in a society that was not built or designed for them to succeed in it's impossible Mm -hmm. and so what ends up happening is you have all of these people that come out of underserved underrepresented communities who are dealing with mental health issues and mental illnesses that go undiagnosed because we don't even have the language to begin to express what our what our situation our scenarios are or have been and -hmm. then and then as a result we have severe clinical depression we are suicidal we have bipolar disorder we have early onset of schizophrenia we have Mm -hmm. post-traumatic stress syndrome we have Mm -hmm. anxiety disorders in the spectrum of them social anxiety panic attack disorder i mean these are these are very real occurrences that happen as a result of coming out of communities where um, we don't have the resources and the tools to face what the reality is on an every day. I, I spoke to a group of kids in the inner city on the, on the Chicago South side and um, it was about 50 of them, and they were dynamic children. They'd all gotten in trouble with the law, though, until it was a program for them. And I asked them, I taught them what trauma was, and then I asked them, how many of you have experienced something traumatic? And, of course, everyone in the room raised their hand. And I said, okay, let's talk about it. You know, let's break it down. Let's unpack what it was. And you know, you know, one kid said he saw his best friend get shot in the face and die. Another one said he saw his mom get killed. Another girl said that she'd been raped and she'd seen someone else get raped. And another kid said some. I mean, it was like, you know, this is their reality. And they say mm-hmm. it, you know, matter-of-factly. So I said, so what has been done as a result of that? How have you managed your mental fitness? How have you ensured that you're okay from the inside out? And they all looked at me. They're like, you know, what you mean? Mm-hmm. What, you, what you talking about? So who do you talk to? Where's your safe space? How have you processed and worked through some of this stuff? How do you feel as a result of it? I feel unsafe. I feel in danger. I feel terrified. I feel alone. I feel empty. Okay, so how do you work through those emotions? They didn't have any answers because there were no programs. There, was, there were no tools. There was no mental fitness plan in place to assist them with that. So they carry that with them. It never goes away. Mm-hmm. It only gets worse over time because they continue to experience trauma as long as they're in the community.
1: Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing that you, you know, that you mentioned, the other thing that I've noticed that, cause I know when I was coming up, I was, I'm a product of um, the inner city. I was born and raised Me in too. Brooklyn, New York, <laughs> Brooklyn, New York, Chicago, Illinois. <laughs> okay. So at, at a certain point in time, there were always programs, right. safe havens, that right. you could go to and you felt safe. You could be as creative as you wanted to be. You could have right. fun. You could play. You could, you know, exercise your ability in athletics, um, in dance, in singing, in art. These were all places right. where you could just push these things out. And this was how we were able to release those demons, so to speak. Right. Mhm. But mm-hmm.
0: those funding was cut.
1: Yep, funding was cut. Design. Those And not only that, and this is the part that, that, that drives me bananas. Not only was funding cut, but those programs were recreated in other neighborhoods and made so expensive that they priced you out of them. Mhm. Mhm. Gentrification? Yes. And Brooklyn
0: doesn't look like the old Brooklyn anymore.
1: (laughs) Oh, no, it doesn't. Every time I go back, I'm like, what is this? Right. What is this place? And I'm like, you know, I used to be able to go over here and do this and that. And I have to tell you, the YWCA on Third Avenue in Brooklyn, um, downtown, was my safe haven. Mm. I did Ballet classes, that's where I got my, um, I learned to swim there. Um, I took other dance classes. There was so many, I learned so much in that one building. And when I had a child, guess where she went? The YWCA. She got, you know, she learned how to swim there. She took um, tumbling classes, gymnastic classes. She started dance there until she moved on to um, other programs. And I was told that that building no longer exists. And where wow. I am now, they have a YWCA, and they're closing them down. And the YMCA, which is the premier place, is so on expensive now, not everybody can afford to go to the YMCA. So, right. you know, my point is we keep putting our children in this black box and we make the box smaller and smaller and smaller. So what are you going to do when you're in a black box? You feel uncomfortable and cramped. You are going to try your best to get out of that box by any means necessary. So if that means that you have to take somebody out so that you can survive yourself, that's what you're going to do. And I think that's where we are right now.
0: Mm. Mm. I don't disagree with you at all. At all. That's why I have a strong mental fitness plan that exists in the household and that each family member has that is mm-hmm. tailored and customized specifically for them so that when they're out in the real world with their masks on, right, when they're mm-hmm. in that black box trying to get out and trying to get out safely, they've got the tools that they need to be able to ensure that that can happen. And there are things that we can do. That's what the workbook is designed for. It's designed Mm -hmm. to teach folks who don't have language to give them the language, to begin to articulate their experience, but also then to do something about it. And and they're lifestyle steps. It's not anything that is um, unattainable or inaccessible. And it's also 99.9% of the incredible 10 mental fitness steps are free. And that's why the workbook has been doing so well because people are like, wait a minute, I had not ever considered that some of the steps that are my favorite to my favorite. So my favorite, I go back and forth between the first mental fitness step and the second one in the workbook. The first is having a dynamic support squad, right? Mm -hmm. So as we're talking about these communities that that are inundated with violence and trauma and um, horrific negativity. Well, having a support squad that has your back, that holds you accountable, and that's going to love you unconditionally becomes a necessity. It's not a luxury anymore. It's having a safe space of people, even Mm -hmm. if it's two people who are going to hold you down when stickiness is everywhere and you feel like you can't move forward because life gets sticky, and for all of us it does. That's critical. And so I teach you how to design a support squad. I teach you about toxic people, how to eliminate toxic people, how to ensure that those which you take your mask off with are the ones that are going to make sure that you're okay. And then my second favorite is the chapter on therapy. Mm -hmm. Because historically we've always said that therapy is a white people's thing. That's a white folks thing. You know, black folks don't go to therapy. We go to church or We bring it to the dinner table, have a really good meal, or we sleep on it. We sleep on it. Everything's going to be all right in the morning. But therapy for me and for so many people like me has been life-saving. And Mm -hmm. we don't even understand the power that we have with therapy. So I teach you step one all the way through step 10, how to um, find a therapist, how to interview your therapist. Because yes, you have the power to interview your therapist before you even go in and see them, and I equate it to blind dating. It's like you wouldn't just go out on a date without asking your girl. Okay, girl, so tell me about him. Give me the rundown. Give me the back. Give me the background. What is his situation? Is he married? Has he been married? Does he have children? What does he do for a living? How tall is he? I mean, we have fifty million questions for our girl about the dude she wants to hook us up with, but. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know that we get that same right to ask our therapist 10 million questions before we think this is the good fit for us. And then once we're in therapy, what do we expect? You know, what should we expect? So I put that out there as well. And then Mm -hmm. I give people permission to find a new therapist if that one just isn't working out. And then there are eight other chapters that are amazing that have literally saved my life.
1: Okay. Okay. Now, now what made you create this book what you know what in your heart of hearts made you just sit down and say this is necessary
0: oh man so there were two reasons um why I sat down and wrote and designed the workbook. the first one was I would speak to all kinds of audiences and uh it didn't matter if I'm speaking to an audience of thousands there would be at least a hundred folks waiting. They they'd all ask me the same question. Or if I'm speaking to an audience of ten, there'd be three people and they'd ask the same question: How can you be a Stanford graduate with an MBA, uh, published Random House author, MBA cheerleader, and then be bipolar and deal with depression and anxiety and in the psych ward twice, under suicide watch, having survived suicide twice? How does that happen? And and they would say to me. Tell us what's the secret. And I say, well, there really isn't a secret. There are 10 things that I do, and I have to make sure that I'm doing them together, and that pretty much ensures that I'm not just surviving, but that I give myself an opportunity to thrive. And they say, oh, my God, okay, what are the 10 things? And they write them down. And so finally I got, you know, for selfish reasons, I got tired of answering that question so much. I said, well, let me put it in a workbook. And all of the workbooks I started researching were written by people with you know, 5,000 letters behind their names. And I was like, where's the workbook written by someone with lived experience? Someone who mm-hmm. understands what bipolar disorder feels like and who knows what depression is and how weighty it is. And when you're depressed, you don't want to read a whole bunch of convoluted text or a bunch of terms that you have to get two dictionaries to understand or where well, you got to keep going to Google to explain whatever, like where's the workbook that is user-friendly, that's super fun, that's engaging, that's going to let me track and rate my progress, that's going to help me make schedules and have a journal. It is like where it it doesn't exist. So I said, let me make it. So that's Mm. what I did. I mean, I did it because what I needed for myself when I was diagnosed, it didn't exist. And then I also wanted to have the answer for folks who said, tell me exactly how you've managed to have this extraordinary life. Extraordinary Despite all of your mental health Challenges
1: You know and it's really Interesting because I find That some of the most intelligent The brightest people Are the ones who Kind of skirt with this Issue and try to mask it And hide it and It's really interesting because you Were a, a super achiever But yet you had That issue was some of it some of the pressure that you put on yourself at some point in time? Oh, wow,
0: That's a great question. Wow, that's a great question. Um, so that answer is a little more complex than just, yes, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, so generally people are challenged with mental illnesses because of genetics and or environment. And so the age-old question is, is it nature or is it nurture? Is it something you were born with or is it how you've been nurtured, something in your environment or your upbringing or your socialization? Um, so then I always add a third one on to it. It can be um, circumstantial. And for me, it was all three of those things. Once I really educated myself on mental illness and really understood uh, what it looked like, I was able to trace it. Um, Both sides of my family (laughs) So the doctors always ask The psychiatrist will say to The person they're interviewing Upon their first meeting They'll say So um, are there any instances of mental illness On your mom's side of the family And then they'll ask the same about your dad's side Well for me I was like yep and yep And the doctor was like oh okay So I really didn't have a chance If I'm being honest And that's a joke that my mom and I make When we're touring It's like the kid didn't stand a chance So there's the genetic component. In addition Mm -hmm. to the fact that um, when I was in college, being so far away, so I'm from Chicago, being all the way at Stanford in California was very traumatic for me, plus the pressure of that school and the pressure I put on myself as a result to be an A-plus student, which is what Mm -hmm. I, you know, that was what I aspired to be. Nobody put that pressure on me. And so that was the big trigger, plus some other little things that were going on with my little boyfriend and some friends and all, you know all of the things in culmination really triggered the onset of this massive psychotic break for me mm-hmm. um, but it but it was genetic and and to be very honest with you, you know like I started off saying, one in four one in four people in our country has a mental health challenge, and it's really higher than that because our communities don't report, so it's a human issue. So, in all families, in all families, we can look around and say, "Oh, I know a depression and bipolar disorder and anxiety and PTSD and o- OCD. I know what these things look like. Ah, uh, so and so has that, and so and so probably mm-hmm. has that, and so and so probably has. It's it's in our families.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
0: yes, it was definitely the pressure that." I put myself under, but had I not had a genetic predisposition to mental illness, the outcome may have looked a lot different than it did, which was me looking at four walls in the psych ward
1: under suicide watch. Mm, mm, mm. You know, it's funny. Um, You know, you have conversations with people, and and you you, you interact with people on a day-to-day basis or occasionally or randomly, and they make statements about people that they see. Now, I've heard, um, you know, people say, oh, she has passive-aggressive behavior or she acts bipolar or this. Now, some people don't even know what bipolar behavior looks like. Right. You know, so what, when you're looking at someone and you're saying they're bipolar, what exactly are you looking at? What, what would we see so we would know what that was? All right, well, first, that's another amazing
0: question, primarily because people have no idea um, what to look for. When you see someone shifting moods drastically, that's generally when we say that the person is, um, you know, bipolar. And it's true, but it's so much more complex than that. So, you know, the word bi means two, and polar, poles, So two extremes, and it's a mood disorder, so we're going from very, very high, and we're vacillating between that and very, very low. And so to break down the language, it can be feeling very up or very high or very elated with a lot of energy and increased activity levels. You know, when someone looks really wired or jittery or very jumpy, I mean, Mm -hmm. these are all of the manic, the the bipolar mania the manic side of it all um and so when we're feeling like that oftentimes we have trouble sleeping uh, we talk really fast I'll talk really really fast when I'm having a manic episode and I'll talk so fast and my thoughts are racing through my head and I can't keep up and I can't get my tongue to move fast enough to keep up with the thoughts that are coming out of my mouth and I feel and I literally sound like that but even faster and so it's very challenging to understand what i'm saying but i have to get it all out my thoughts are racing just that fast Um, when people are having manic episodes they're really irritable and agitated and and that's often the manifestation of what we see in folks it's like you know they don't want to be bothered they get real touchy um and the other piece is that you'll see folks doing a lot of risky behavior engaging in riskiness that they wouldn't necessarily do Um, like sexual risky behavior or spending habits. That's a big deal with mania. Um, People will go out and spend, you know, money that they don't have or crazy amounts of money, something vastly different than what they would normally do. And so that's the manic side. So then the depression side, the low side, is the way we label depression generally. So when a person is feeling very sad or empty, or I talked about feeling helpless and hopeless, Um, or they have very little energy and their activity levels have decreased significantly. And so they may also have trouble sleeping or they may sleep all the time. We talked about sleep earlier. Um, And then they feel like they don't enjoy anything, so they stop doing a lot of the activities that they used to do. We talked about that earlier too. Um, They can't concentrate. They forget a lot of things. And then we talked about appetite. Either they eat too much or they eat too little. And then the one thing that I always caution folks about, and I say get them immediately to a mental health professional or a trusted adult, is when they begin to talk about death. So they begin mm-hmm. to ruminate on death and start talking about suicide or how much better life would be if they weren't there or how much greater um, their their friends and families would have it if they didn't have to deal with them because they're such a burden or a loser or a failure. Those were the words I used a lot. So that's mm-hmm. what bipolar looks like. It's, it's going back and forth between those two extremes, and when that lasts longer than two weeks, that's mm-hmm. when you know that that person is really truly in trouble.
1: Okay. Okay. Now, parents, parents, you know, what should, other than the simple fact that we need to just reinstitute the sitting at the table every day and, and, and talking about things, what should parents look out for in their kids to make sure that they're okay?
0: Oh man, that's a great question. So any of the signs and symptoms that I just talked about for mm-hmm. depression or for mania like those are great indicators that something isn't right. I mean, I mean great indicators where something needs to happen immediately um, and then also signs of cutting and then if the kid if it's 100 degrees out i mean we just came off of a hot summer if the kid is wearing long sleeve shirts, and you don't see your child in a t-shirt or a tank top anymore then you know that's cost to just check out their body that's all Mm -hmm. just take a closer look and pay closer attention and Mm -hmm. um the main thing i say to parents When they ask me, how do I know if my child is is struggling with a mental health issue, I say, talk to your child. You know, even if we can't reinstitute the dinner, the sit down dinner or the sit down table talk, whenever you can grab your kid, because it's a very, very fast life that we are all living, including Mm -hmm. the kids in 2017. But to say simply, how's it going? That gets overlooked so often. How are you doing? What's happening? How are you feeling? Talk to me about, you know, fill in the blank. Talk to me about school. Talk to me about um, your friends. Talk to me about um, your school work. Talk to me about, you know, your sports, dance classes. Having the conversation so that you can hear your child is imperative to understanding where they are um, on a mental health level.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. That's good to know. Now.
0: Kids will talk to you, you know, kids will talk. If you give them an opportunity and if you create a safe space, oh, kids will talk. Oh,
1: yes. Yes. And that's a beautiful (laughs) thing. And sometimes they keep going, but it's still a beautiful thing to have them to be able to do that. Um, There was, let's see, there was something else that I really was trying to understand. Now, we've got our kids talking and, and we see that there are things that are not right. Now, mm-hmm. let's move on over into the um, the adult aspect of it. Um, how do we help those that don't want to be helped but need desperately need the help?
0: That's a great question. So I say one thing to that, and that's trust. So whomever... The child trust, and the same thing goes with an adult, get that person to their side as fast as possible. And if we've been talking to our kids or we've been talking to each other, we know who each other's safe person is. For an adult, it may be a coworker. It may be the significant other. It may be the grandmother. For a child, it may be the grandmother. It may be a buddy at school. It may be the teacher or the nurse or the coach. Um, getting that person next to the one who's in crisis as quickly as possible can be a game changer because there's a level of trust that's already been established so you don't have to start from square one and then you start the lines of questioning how are you doing are you okay is there anything I can do I've noticed lately that you've been fill in the blank. So you've been Mm -hmm. withdrawing a lot from things that you used to do or you're not spending time with your friends anymore or that you're spending a lot of time alone or that you're very sad and down or that you've been crying a lot lately. I'm here to listen to you without judgment what's been going on. So those are the two things. You get them close to someone that they trust and Mm -hmm. then you start the line of questioning deliberately with the objective of ensuring that they have you or whomever the trusted person is to open up to and begin to unpack some of their stuff. So Mm -hmm. then the biggest part is, so then what do you do? So then you get them to a mental health professional as fast as possible if they are in Mm -hmm. crises. And in crises means if they want to hurt themselves or if they want to hurt others around them.
1: Mm Okay. Great. Now, let's look at the outside influences. Let's go on to that category. And I consider outside influences people, situations, or things. And one of the things I'm talking about is social media and the the people I'm talking about is um, bullies, you know, or bullying behavior or being around people of that kind of behavior. And the um, situation, situations, peer pressure. Now, Can these cause you to act as though you have those kinds of conditions and not have them? You just need to get away from those people. Is that a possibility?
0: Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Um, But it can also bring on the real feelings, Mm -hmm. not something that just looks like it could be depression or anxiety or bipolar disorder or PTSD trauma Mm -hmm. I mean it can actually create the experience of trauma the experience Mm -hmm. of depression the experience of anxiety absolutely without a shadow of a doubt bullying with bullying on the rise due to social media uh, the suicide rate has increased directly as a result of that in addition to other things but that's absolutely one of the reasons. And so that's nothing to be taken lightly. The the outside influences as you call them are um are critical to our children's and adults' well-being right now. Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. very scary and it's very frightening and what we have to do is take a closer look at each other because it doesn't look like social media is going anywhere anytime soon. And nor does it look like we can get a handle anytime soon, at least, on social media bullying. Technology Mm -hmm. is just way too advanced for us today with um, kids having the opportunities to create profiles that are anonymous and to engage in bullying in a very anonymous type of way. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, with those experiences, they create very, very real manifestations of Mental illness, um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, and it's understandably so. I, my girlfriend and I, we joke all the time. We say there's no way we would have made it through what our young people have to go through today. There's just no way.
1: But you did, and that's the whole. That's the funny thing about it. You did make it through. No, what? No, no, I didn't.
0: There was no, no. Oh, social well, media. And no, internet. I know there
1: wasn't. There wasn't <laughs> social media because I know growing up in New York. You would yell out the window. That was the social right. thing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: exactly. Exactly. I love it. So it's just, you know, it's the, as they say, nothing new under the sun. It's just a, a new way to present it. Mm hmm. hmm. So, and that's the way I see it. I see social media as not something new under the sun. It's just a new way to present it. And we just have opened the door to the world. As opposed to just to the next neighborhood, uh, you know, up the street. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. so from my perspective, we had that bullying. We had people from other neighborhoods coming into our neighborhood, threatening us. Um, right. You, we had that. We had you know the stuff the the neighbor yelling out the window, talking about somebody else's um, husband or whatever down the street. <laughs> we had <laughs> we had all of that. It's just that we didn't look at it in such a concentrated manner because it's coming out of a little piece of machinery that you can hold in your hand. That's that's the problem right there. I think that is what makes it so much more magnified because it's such a small box that's creating so much mess. When, mm. in fact, we had the mess, nothing has changed in the way that we communicate. It's just now coming out of a small box. Uh. And what we experience are the same things it's just it's because it's coming out of a small box that you can hold in your hand everyone's got they're're they're, they're losing their mind over that. How can a small thing like this create so much havoc in everyone's life when it's already been there? it's all been there. I think the biggest problem that we have is it's i think it's shock value we have we're in shock. We're in shock with the fact that technology did happen, and what they did with technology, from my perspective, is they took all the things that we normally do and normally say and how we interact, and we put it in a small place, but it didn't change the way we behave. So technology didn't didn't change the way we behave. It just put it all in a small place and bring it to you up close and in person.
0: Wow. Yeah, we have to be armed with very hardcore, what I call mental fitness plans to be able to deal with that. And this is our children, yes, but it affects adults too. Depression Mm -hmm. is on the rise. Globally, but specifically in this country, is what I'm talking about as a result of folks putting themselves up against the images that they see portrayed on social media as real. Mm-hmm. We do this comparison game, and it makes us feel worse about where we are in life and how we're doing, what we're accomplishing, or what we're not accomplishing. And so, those things are. Um, you know, what we're in control of, being able to disconnect mm-hmm. from that and to focus on the self but not in an egotistical way. Some of the other mental fitness steps in the workbook that I take you through include things like meditation,
1: mm-hmm. which allows
0: us to be in complete control of our thoughts or our lack of thoughts and to control the thinking thinking or the narratives that play in our heads over and over that are Negative. So, meditation mm-hmm. really centers us and anchors us in something that's more balanced and that connects us to our purpose in the greater universe. And then, mm-hmm. visualizing, being able to connect to our happy place and exercising and eating right, mm-hmm. clean eating. I'm a strict vegan. Folks say, How do you do it? Well, I'm a strict vegan and I exercise regularly. I meditate. I have to mm-hmm. visualize, stay connected to what my bigger intention is. I also have a dynamic support squad and I have a super fresh young therapist. And I also believe in furry friends creating the endorphins <laughs> in our brains to really make us feel, girl, I, I just got a dog like a month ago. I have a new little baby, Maltese, who has brought me intense joy, like more organic joy than I felt in so Long, and I swear by them. Folks say, "Well, I can't get a pet." Yeah, well, spend some time at the shelter, volunteer mm-hmm. to go dog walk. Like there are things that really. And so, so then, and then one of the other other few are are music, being intentional about the music that we listen to, and I have you create happy playlists in the workbook. Super wow. fun, but very accessible and and appealing. And then one of the other ones is um, being of soul service. When we're of soul service. To something bigger than us it forces us outside of our own heads which can be mm-hmm. a very dangerous place sometimes you know what I mean and so when mm-hmm. you're doing for others you don't have the luxury to stop and think about you and and what's bothering and hurting and and um, what you've been obsessing over so you know having a very strong intentional mental fitness plan allows us to vibrate on a higher frequency and if we can do that, that we can easily unplug from social media, and then re-anchor ourselves in something that's necessary for our mental health and our overall wellness.
1: I would also like to say that social media has so many pluses and benefits to it. it oh has, yeah, yeah, it has been able enabled people from all over the world to communicate, whereas they may not have had that luxury before FaceTime and all those other wonderful things make it easier for you to be able to stay in contact with people Um, you can get information at the drop of a a, a minute a second you know everything is available to you to use it's a resource it's an excellent resource so don't think that I'm completely against social media I just believe that there's good and bad With I agree
0: a thousand percent you are absolutely right
1: We just just, have to be
0: aware. We have to be Mm -hmm. hypersensitive to the messaging that we're allowing into our brain space. We have to be because if we're not, the messaging that seeps in can be very destructive and very dangerous.
1: I used to go to the church in Harlem, Abyssinian Baptist Church. And, you know, there was a sermon that um, Reverend Bus gave, and he said, you know, about what you let into your house comes into your body. And he said, you turn that TV on and you watch that crap on TV and that becomes who you are. And I was mm. like, what the heck is he talking about? The TV <laughs> can't do nothing to me. And I'm sitting there one day and I'm watching the show on TV. And I have to tell you, I, it was a series and I'm just watching, watching, watching. It and I'm like, this is true because the stuff that I'm replaying it because our minds are little mini cameras Uh and Uh it started to replay this movie in my head over and over and over and over again. Then I started to thinking those things, those thoughts that I saw. And some of the phrases that were coming out of my mouth was that movie that I saw over and over. (laughs) And I'm like, okay. And you have to be mindful. And like you said, you have when you talked about the music, you're so on point with that. I mean, I have music that I listen to because I like the message that it holds. Mm. And I like the tune that goes along behind it. And mm. I had the pleasure when I work out, I try to listen to Spotify if I don't have my other songs downloaded. So I was I'm listening to Spotify and the graphic songs came on and I felt myself tense up. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh oh my no, 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 Mm -hmm. no. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know, people they don't wanna believe and I that's it. People don't wanna believe that everything affects them. Everything. If you're walking outside, it affects you. If you see You know, like I'm driving to work, I see a dead deer. That affects me. Mm -hmm. You know, that Mm -hmm. bothers me. You know, and if you think that you're not affected by things or you see people that go, oh, no, I'm not affected by that. Oh, that doesn't bother me. Oh, I can handle anything. No, the human mind, from my perspective, is not equipped to dealing with tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. Like you said, these young folks, they deal with all kinds of devastating situations. The people now in Houston are going to have some serious issues to overcome mentally behind this situation. Yeah. 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 Once these once these massive
0: hurricanes pass, then the real work begins.
1: Yes. You know, and it's not about mm-hmm. I lost my house or I lost, you know, everything. It's what is going to replay in their minds. That's really going to impact how they move forward with their lives. And mm. they need people like you to be out there on the ground waiting for them because they're they're going to need you. Thank you. You're welcome. They're going to need you because you're going to hold, you're going to be able to help them move forward with their lives. And that's what they need to be able to move forward because we, Put too much stock into material things, and you know it breaks my heart to see what I see. You know when I turn on the TV, but the bottom line is, you still have your life. You have a chance to move forward, and you just gotta embrace that fact. Because you can get material things. You can you can you may not get the ones you had before, but you can get something. And you know nobody said that you have to sleep on a, a, a you know a fifty thousand dollar bed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. all of those things. It's nice to have it, but isn't it even nicer to have peace of mind? Yeah, yeah.
0: Unfortunately, and, it's very challenging to attain for a lot of us today. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, but we have to do the work. We have to believe in our in our our um our divine right to have an abundant life we Mm -hmm. have to give ourselves permission to move forward toward vibrating at this higher frequency above the negativity above Mm
1: -hmm. the um
0: the repetitive trauma that gets shown over and over again on social media whether it's someone's suicide or if it's someone's murder or if it's Someone being killed or shot or beat up on a bus—that plays mm-hmm. over and over on social media. Um, we have a we have a divine right for better, for a more abundant place, for incredible wellness and happiness. But we yes. have to do the work to get it. Though so. it's yes. not going to be given to us anymore, especially with the era in which we're living in 2017.
1: Yes, yes. And I have to share something with you. Um, I had Last year, last summer was a very traumatic summer for me. I had some health issues that I was getting straightened out, and I went through this. You know what? I work real hard. You know, I could treat myself to something nice. So I said, you know, my car was falling apart, so maybe I should just get a, you know, a better vehicle. So I get the better vehicle, and I'm driving down the street, but my mind you know, was still wrapping itself around all the health issues that I was grateful enough to to come through with no problem. And, you know, but there was still things, there was like some little twinges of pain here and there. And I had a a moment where I had like a little sharp pain and I looked down, I looked up and looked down again and went to move forward. And I had a minor fender bender Mm. and, you know, it was nothing major. It was just minor. And the first thing in my head was like, I just got this this, this vehicle, and now it's all messed mm. up. And, and I'm like, you know, that's stupid. And I'm saying to myself, that's stupid. Everyone's okay. And, you know, I checked to see that everyone was okay. And, you know, I'm waiting for the police to come. And I'm standing there, and I'm getting ready to have a breakdown. And the breakdown was for a completely different reason. Mm. And the police officer was like, it's okay, it's okay, don't cry, don't cry. And he's rubbing the car trying to clean it off and everything. And I'm looking at him like, look at you trying to help me. And you don't realize that I'm going to have this breakdown for a reason you don't even know. So I got in the car and he, you know, sitting there watching me. And I just, I just cried. And the reason wow. I was crying was because I was grateful Wow that I was able to have an experience. Wow. It wasn't the the best one, but I had come through so much and I was just grateful that I was having experiences. You know, and I was also a little upset with myself because I had saw all this negative press about police officers and stuff and you know, when he came, I was, you know, a little tense at first and nervous, and I and I cried again because it's not always true. You can't right. be afraid of these situations either because not everybody is coming is coming to hurt you. So I just, you know, I just had to let all of that out. And once all of that was out, I moved forward and, and I was like, you know, fender benders happen. They happen, you know, they happen to anybody, Um, you know. The police, it's their job to come do their job, and, you know, they come with good intentions in most instances. Um, No one was terribly injured, you know. So this here is telling you, don't be in the past thinking, be in the moment that you're living.
0: Wow, I love that. That's beautifully said.
1: And, and, you know, and now, now, and people think that, and I tell you, I kid you not, people tell me, I've had somebody tell me the other day, you're bipolar. I'm like, well, that's a good thing. (laughs) You know, you know, I'm like, (laughs) I'm feeling emotion. That's a good thing. So, you know, and I always
0: say, I always say that that's the superpower.
1: Yeah. That's my, and so, people say, What do you
0: mean? And say, Ah, oh, that's my superpower. I put my cape on and I say, I'm a bipolar badass.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. For
0: <laughs> <But> real. <laughs> yes.
1: And my thing is, you can feel these. You can You can feel. And that's the whole thing. We numb ourselves just to get through the day, the week, right. the month, the situation, till we get to the point where we've numbed ourselves to we don't feel nothing for anything. And mm. we were given these feelings. We were given these emotions. We were given these experiences. And we can go back to Jesus being on the cross because mm. he felt it all. He experienced everything so that we could be walking around here acting like we didn't lost our minds. And, I don't you, know think that was, and I, you know, I don't think that's what he, you know, wanted to go through all of that for, but he felt. And I used to always tell people, I said, you know, I would tell my, my daughter mostly at night, I'm like, God saw Jesus felt. That's what it's all about. And we have to realize we have these emotions and we have these feelings because we're not only here for ourselves, but we're here to help other people. And if we don't have any feeling, how can we help them? And I like I, that. I honestly believe that what you experienced and what you went through and what you, what you managed is so that you could be able to help other people. Being on this side
0: of it, it definitely feels um, empowering, and that's what I want to do for other people mm-hmm. who are living in their darkness is empower them so that they can use their truth and their testimony to then begin to help others in Mm -hmm. the village, in the village. A lot of people would say to me, thank you so much for saving my life. And I tell people this when I'm speaking, and I say I would say right back to them, no, thank you. You just saved me right back because now my purpose of pain is not about my brain pain it's about mm-hmm. helping others micromanage and maneuver and navigate their dark spaces and i feel in gratitude all the time for it i feel like it's the second chance that i was waiting for
1: mhm and and i'm so grateful to have you because this conversation this conversation we don't have we haven't had we need to have more conversations like this Because it opens the door to more conversations and it opens another door to healing. And we have a fractured, injured village that needs healing. I love it. I
0: love the way that sounds because I can't say anything that is more true than that. You're absolutely right.
1: So that's why we have amazing people like you, like you and we have to catch the kids while we can because they're going to grow up and be adults and they're going to be the ones responsible for making the decisions in, for, our, for our lives. So Hold we got to, yeah, and we have to figure out if we want them to make the decisions based on what they understand now or do we want them to make decisions based on being completely informed and able to make well thought out, well rounded decisions because they have been educated to do so.
0: Hopefully the workbook will be one of the tools that really allows them to get a grip on the language and then be able to develop and design their own mental fitness plans that give them the courage, the confidence, and also the insight with which to navigate those spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, And if anyone wants to get the workbook, it's Yes, I was going to ask you. Yeah, for sure. It's called um, Who Moves My Happy? That's the name of the tour that I have that travels the country. And oftentimes we'll have panels um, with extensive Q&As afterwards. On the panels we'll have a black or brown psychiatrist and a psychologist, Mm -hmm. also someone else with lived experience. I share my story. And then I take my mom on tour a lot, and I interview her, and it's called A Mother's Love. And, I interviewed her about what it was like being a caregiver, the caretaker for a daughter who was mentally ill in an era when we didn't talk about much less know anything about mental illness. So mm-hmm. um, the tour is called who moved my happy and the workbook is called um, the who moved my happy mental fitness workbook. And they can get it on my website,
1: mm-hmm. which
0: is dot um, com. That's dot com, And um We ship out four times a week, so uh, your workbook will be at your door within seven days generally. So, again, that's exoerica.com, and the workbook is the Who Moved My Happy Mental Fitness Workbook. And I'm all over social media also, so
1: if anyone
0: wants to connect with me, they can. If they want to ask me any questions, I get questions from all over the country, people of all ages and demographics, and... I don't shy away from that. I love to connect with people, and I usually get back to folks within 48 hours. And I'm on Facebook at Erica Kendrick, E-R-I-K-A-K-E-N-D-R-I-C-K, like Kendrick Lamar, Mm -hmm. and um, I've got a public profile on Facebook as well, Erica J. Kendrick, and then I'm on Instagram, Erica J. Kendrick, XO Erica, and then I'm on Twitter. And my Twitter handle is at the cheerleader E.
1: Okay, great. You know, I have to tell you, this was probably one of the most important conversations I've had in a very long time. And oh, thank I want you. to thank you. No, thank you. And, you know, thank you for blessing this show with this amazing message. Thank you for being so transparent and so honest. I greatly oh, appreciate man. this. Um, it is. You know, this show is about helping people help themselves and giving them the tools. And you just gave us some amazing tools that we could use. And I can't, I don't have the words to really describe how grateful I am for this opportunity.
0: You are so welcome. It's my honor and my privilege to be able to share and connect. Um, I Thank you for allowing me to share a soul space and to be a soul service with you and your audience. I really appreciate it. And and I always mm-hmm. say, I love you and I don't okay. have to know you to love you. We are I feel connected. like I know you a little. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you do. We are. We are. We're all yes, connected. We are connected. That's why yeah. we have to hold on tightly to each other.
1: Mhm. Yes, because mm-hmm. it does take a village. It does. And the village needs constant maintenance, constant. So, you know, we just got to, we just got to have, we got to keep that hope alive. You know, it may sound cliche, Miss Chicago, (laughs) but we have to keep that hope alive, you know, a hope for a better, a better planet for all of us and a better space and place for the black and brown communities.
0: Gosh. You're absolutely right. Well, I thank you for letting me be on the show. And if you ever need to talk to me, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm always available.
1: You, it's nothing but a word. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. You have a great evening and thank you once again. And please give your mom my regards because she did an amazing job.
0: Oh, my gosh. Don't make me cry. She's going to cry when I tell her you said
1: that. <laughs> she you Take did, care of yourself. You too. And I'm right
0: here if you need me.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, everyone. I have to say that this was an amazing show and through all of the challenges that I experienced trying to get here this evening, I am glad I arrived because I arrived when I was supposed to arrive, at the time I was supposed to arrive, to give you this message because you needed to hear it, as well as myself because I learned something each and every time I stepped behind this microphone. However, this evening was especially important and with all that's going on in the world today, We need to understand how to keep ourselves okay in the world and move forward with our lives. As I always say, you have to follow your dreams, your hopes, and your passions and hold them close to you because if you follow someone else, their destiny is different from yours. What God has planned for them is different than what he has planned for you. So follow through with what you believe in. Do you. Don't do nobody else. Just do you. And if, you know, you don't like the preachiness of it, All I can say is take care of yourself. Make sure that you're okay, because if you're not okay, you can't help anybody else. And once again, we will be back again next week with more information and more amazing guests who have more amazing stories to tell about their journey and their purpose. So please come back and join us at the Cocoa Express Show Network, and please have a great evening. Prayers go out to the people in Houston. And the people in Miami, we there are not enough words to be able to just to say how gut-wrenching and, and hard it is for us, everyone, including myself, to witness what's transpiring for them. And I'm going to do the best I can to help the best way I can. On that note, God bless you. Have a great night and enjoy your weekend. Show.com.